This is episode 29 with Tim Brandt. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer turned personal trainer and coach. Each week, it is my goal to bring you a unique story of an elite athlete's mindset to help you unlock and discover your life's potential. Today, I had the chance to sit down with sports broadcasting legend, Tim Brandt. Now, Tim played football at the University of Maryland and eventually for the Washington Redskins before launching into a very successful broadcasting career of over 40 years. I've gotten to know Tim personally through working with him the past year or two, and before knowing his extensive background, I knew just from talking to him that he had to have played sports at a high level. His mindset is what sets him apart from his peers in the broadcasting booth, and that started with the preparation he took. He's got an incredible story, and I can't wait to share it with all of you. So please welcome on Tim. I was like Forrest Gump. I mean, I don't know how this stuff happened, but it was great. I mean, I worked Super Bowls, the Olympics. Uh, Keith Jackson and I did the college football national championship in the Rose Bowl. And Could you give us a background, uh, first and foremost, as a player, former football player, um, both at St. John's and then ultimate University of Maryland? Well, I, you out, of, out of everything I have, um, after high school, before high, everything, being in the St. John's College High School Hall of Fame is, is something I'm very, very proud of and won the president's medal there too. Um, but then the University of Maryland was good. I went in as a quarterback, came out as a defensive back, uh, signed with the Redskins. I was there long enough to get a cup of coffee and, and got into this business. So I was I was just very fortunate. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, it sounds like it all panned out, obviously. Oh, it did. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. How was that transition from going from, you know, Redskins tryout didn't go well to broadcasting how is that well I, I wouldn't say it, it didn't go well but yeah. but George Allen was the coach and uh-huh. he believed in the over the hill gang he didn't think you could win with rookies so uh, there was one guy came in with me with the Redskins named Kenny Stone who made the team uh, didn't stay with the Redskins they got rid of him went to the Cardinals but he had a, a nice career 10 years but yeah that you know that was one of the things that we knew we didn't have much of a chance going in because he wasn't a rookie coach. Mm-hmm. He didn't like rookies. Um, as far as the transition from sports to what I did, uh, again, you know, I don't know how it happened. It just <laughs> happened. But I had gotten my degree in journalism at the University of Maryland, and I used to entertain guys on the plane flying to the game we were going to do in college, mm-hmm. and I would be announcing it in the back of the plane. It was funny, and we had a good time. Um, but then it became reality. Um, I started at WML Radio. This guy, Andy Ockershausen, who ran WML Radio, gave me a call and asked, would I be interested in doing Maryland games on radio with Mal Campbell since I was the captain of the Maryland team the year before? And I said, absolutely. And so they took me out to uh, the University of Maryland Bird Stadium for the spring game and gave me a tape recorder. And they said, here, just, just play around with it for a while. And I did. And they hired me. So I did that. Uh, did that for two years with Mal, and then they, they let Mal go, and I moved over to the play-by-play chair. Um, and I did that for a year before I went to television, and that's when Johnny Holiday came in and took over uh, radio at the University of Maryland for me. Okay. Um, and a lot of people don't know that. I don't even think Johnny knows that. <laughs> you know, his, your, your mind changes after all those years, but I went to Channel 7 Television as a sports director, which was a pretty good story in itself. You know, again, you talk about how things happen and how lucky you are. Um, Joe Albritton was a Houston guy mm-hmm. who bought the Washington Star, um, WML Radio, WML Television, it was called back then, and they changed it to 
to uh, WJLA. JLA was Joel Albritton. And he gave me a call and he said, uh, hey, I heard you on radio. I want you to be my sports director over at Channel 7. I said, I've never been on television. And he said, that's okay. I just want you to do what you do on radio. <laughs> so, But he hired me as a sports director at Channel 7. And how that happened, I don't know. But I was there four years. And then Rune Arledge called from ABC Sports and says, we want you to come do the Olympics with us. And it was Kirk Gowdy Jr. who was a producer, Kirk Gowdy's son. And I went to ABC Sports. And then here I am 45 years after that. And I, that was my career in network television. Yeah. It's funny how it just seems to be one thing leads to the next. And it's, it is, it's dumb luck it is or, unbelievable. And, it, it you know, just take Monday Night Football, for instance. Yeah. Keith Jackson and I were doing – I was doing sidelines. I started as a sideline reporter. And Keith Jackson and Frank Burroughs were in the booth, both legends. And then Monday Night Football, uh, Rune had this idea of having a sideline report on Monday Night Football, but the NFL wouldn't allow it. Um, so I think I was, I don't know this for a fact, but I think I was the first sideline reporter on Monday Night Football on ABC. Um, but I couldn't do anything but a, a little report before kickoff, a little halftime thing, and a post game because it wouldn't let you do anything during the game mm-hmm. back then. And now, of course, sideline reporters in the NFL are huge. I was about to say, you see what ESPN has done with yeah. that booger mobile of the, <laughs> the floating kind of play-by-play chair out there. Yeah. That would have been a, a fun thing to that, that take would have for been. a spin. But you know, um, while I was at ABC, they also had the, the USFL came into existence. And they played in, in the spring. Mm-hmm. And they went after all the top guys like Herschel Walker, Doug Flutie. Um, all those guys became players in the USFL because the USFL was paying money big-time money, and they were in the spring. Well, they not only allowed sideline reporters, but you could carry a watchman, you know, and, and mm-hmm. when when they challenged, this was before the NFL had challenges. If a coach challenged a call on the field, um, I could go up to the sidelines to the head coach and show him the play that we were airing on ABC on my little watchman in my hand and have him comment on it and say, look, look at this, that's pass interference or whatever yeah. the, the play was. So there were a lot of firsts and a lot of things that were yeah. kind of neat like that. It's cool to hear you talk about that and then see how the game how has evolved yeah, since exactly. then. Now I think we're challenging too many things in football. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, we've talked a lot before off the record of you know mindfulness in sports, especially your time at, uh, as a Terp at Maryland. What would you say helped you the most as a player? Um, actually, it was the way I was raised. You know, my parents, we had four boys, no girls, and we were in a house, and I think our bedroom was 10 by 15, and there were bunk beds on both walls, and all four of the kids lived, all four boys lived in the same room, so it was survival of the fittest, but I think that, and the way my dad and mom raised us, uh, it prepared us for athletics, and, and their, their belief was to get up every day and try to be the best you can be. They used to call it the commitment to excellence, mm-hmm. you know, try to be the best you can be. And, and they would give us rules to live by. And, and you know, like my dad used to say, there, there's never a bad time to do the right thing. And there's never the right time to do a bad thing. And, you know, just little little cliches like that that we live by. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that helped us tremendously in athletics. That plus the fact we were all two years apart, so we were very competitive playing, fighting, whatever in the house, mm-hmm. competing. Yeah, it's funny how those. It's always those silly little sayings that stick with you the longest and end up having the biggest profound impact on you. Oh, absolutely! I was I was raised on that 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 kind of stuff. My dad. Now I was born in 1949. That's how old I am. Um, <laughs> 
But World War II had just ended, mm. and it was it was utopia in the United States at that time. And so it was it was good times. And my dad came back, and he had fought in Tinian and Iwo Jima and all those places. And so when he came back, even though he was a young man, he was a man. <laughs> he was a Marine. Um, so so that too helped. I mean, there was no nonsense back then. You know, it wasn't you needed a a, a dog to to settle your nerves mm-hmm. or your anxieties. It was, I mean, it was. He used to say, "It's ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent." how you handle it and mm-hmm. and that's the way we were raised so it was it was a great upbringing i think that's a fantastic point and yeah you know, were there any habits that they helped you form or you formed throughout your life that kind of allowed you to be successful and allowed maybe these lucky things to happen to you yeah I, I, well i think they set that that bar of excellence up here so they wanted you to work hard you didn't have to be a five beta kappa but they wanted you to try hard and mm-hmm. and do as well as you can do and the same thing in sports. I mean, if, if if my brother Mike or Pat or somebody would wind up and clock me or something, you know, my mom didn't, she didn't like a lot of crying. Or, you know, just shake it off and, you know, be tough. It's changed a little bit. It has days. changed. It has <laughs> changed. So as I say, the coaching I do now, that wouldn't fly as well uh, this day and age. But she, they taught us to be flexible, too. Yeah. You know? My dad used to say it takes all kinds to run a world. So, you know, be very receptive to everybody and accept them for what they are. Yeah. I think it's a great message. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Olympics, traveling all over. We've talked about the grueling schedule that can be broadcasting and all that. Grueling but you? exciting. Grueling but exciting. You know, I w- I, here I am, this kid from Avondale, Maryland, Hyattsville, and traveling the world now with, with ABC Sports, you know, in first class. I didn't, I didn't even know first class was. <laughs> and, I mean, it was it was tremendous. But wide world of sports, we were, had to be somewhere in the world. I remember one time I was going to do, uh, again, the World Speed Skating Championships in Seoul, South Korea. And I left Thursday night, and I was back Tuesday. I mean, the event was Saturday and Sunday mm-hmm. in Seoul, South Korea. So it was a 19-hour flight from Dulles to Seoul and then back again after the event. Um, but I wanted to be home as much as I could for the little kids. Janet and I were having babies. We had the same thing. It's that Irish rhythm. Every two years we were having kids. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, that was everything to me. That was the most important thing in the world. When you were traveling that much, how did you keep your mind kind of on the right thing at the right time, whether it's focused in on that event or focused when you're home, you're focused in on the family and the kids? You know, doing, doing a, an event on network television, I found it's people would come up to me and they would, hey, my, my boy wants to get into television. He's, he's a, a nut. He knows every statistic. He knows everything. Well, I didn't know anything. But my thing was, you would prepare like a lawyer prepares a brief, mm-hmm. uh, and you, you prepare it like you're going to present it to the jury. And you have three hours or two hours, whatever the event is, and, and if, you're, if you're faking it or you don't know the, the material, you know, they'll, they'll see that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And then you go in, for instance, in the NFL, when Hank Stram and I would go do a, a game in the NFL. You'd go do the Cardinals and the the 49ers or even a college game. you go do Notre Dame and Michigan. Those people at Notre Dame and Michigan, they know their team inside and out, and you better do the same. Mm-hmm. So if you're not watching tapes and reading everything you can read about the players and learning everything you, you can about the players, then it will show up in the broadcast and you won't be in the business very long. And so my, my biggest accomplishment, I think, is – the 40 years I put in it. The last 40 years, I'm, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the people I worked with, I mean, I still talk to Jim Nance quite often, and, and Keith Jackson now has passed away, but I was honored 
they had a celebration of life after he died in the Rose Bowl, and the family asked me to host it. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a huge compliment to me. I for me, I took it as one anyway. It was a, it was fabulous. I remember you telling me about that when that happened. Yeah, that's that's fantastic and very fitting that. You know, they, it, they had asked you again. You go back to to growing up here in that little house with the my brothers, and now here I am introducing Dan Fouts, Lynn Swan, Bob Greasy. You know, and, and Drysdale. I mean, it's it was incredible. Would you say there's anything in particular that drove you to have the career that you had to be successful? Yeah, I, I will. Or? You know, I, again, you, we talk about things to live by, and, and they used, my dad used to say success is not a destination. It's a continuous journey. You never stop trying to succeed. And it was growing up with my brothers, you know, there was a, a, a not a fear of failure because the greatest athletes of all time never reached their greatest accomplishments until after defeat. Defeat makes you. Mm-hmm. That's how you, you learn. You don't accept it, but you learn from it and you try to be the best you can after you lose. But um, it w- it's, it's that kind of motivation. It was that kind of, of competition that drove us. And again, it goes back to the upbringing with my brothers and my parents. It's always fascinating, the people that I've had on here, I've always brought up the debate of nature versus nurture. Do you think you're more kind of how you were raised versus what you were just born with? I think it's a combination of the two. Um, It's your genes. Uh, It's the environment you're raised in. And, And as you well know, I'm going through a situation now, I mean, you can probably hear it, my mouth is so dry after all the radiation and everything, but you know, a a brain tumor, had 10 hour brain surgery Mm -hmm. in May, and then I had 30 straight therapies uh, with radiation, and uh, I can't smell anymore, and my mouth is so dry, so I've got this water right here, (laughs) and I can't articulate and speak properly because of the dry mouth, but uh, you know, I think think your upbringing and everything everything that you have done in life prepares you for that, because nobody outlives life, Mm -hmm. and so it's, how do you handle it again? So, I mean, if the worst came and, and I didn't make it, you know, that's that's part of the being human. Um, so I I, it, I think the, the way I was raised and the upbringing and the family, and we still have a very close family, I think that prepares you. So you kn- even when you know something's there, it's not the, it's not a fear of dying. It's just a, that's another mm-hmm. part of life. It's another set of adversity that you face, yes, just exactly like anything right. else, exactly just a different right. form. Yeah, exactly um, right. And I think probably given your background and all the things that have happened to you in your career, that's allowed you to push through this differently than some people that don't have this experience to, to fall you know, back on. You know, I was, Lou Holtz and I were talking one day and, and Lou said, he said, you know, I was raised in a one bedroom house, it's his parents and over there. He says, we didn't have food stamps, we didn't have welfare, we didn't have a safety net back then. He goes, but I never, I always had plenty to eat. And I said, how'd you know that? And he says, well, he says, every time I'd go to reach for seconds, my dad says, no, you've had plenty. So I knew I had plenty to eat. But Lou Holtz, is, you know, he was he's that same kind of guy. He, he lives on things like that, little funny, humorous, mm-hmm. uh, almost cliche-ish type sayings. But, you know, there were rules to live by. That's things I try to instill in the people that I work with, either clients or kids that I'm coaching. It's just... It's going to sound silly, but little humor things will get you through the toughest stuff. Absolutely. And as a coach, giving the, giving the athlete something they can picture. I remember during two-a-days at, at the University of Maryland, we had a coach, that Jerry Claiborne, he used to say, There's, you have, your body has a little switch. You know, if it gets too much for you in this heat, 
you know, it'll, it'll, the switch will turn you off. Other than that, just keep going. You can keep going. Well, the switch never went off, you know. You just <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. Um, do you have any advice for those people that might be searching for a career or, um, like, their why, as I guess was big now? Well, say. you know, a, a lot of times, like I said, things just seem to happen to me, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's the same way for a lot of people. You know, something will happen and show that show itself to you. If it's something you really like, then p- persevere, go after it. Don't be afraid of failure. You know, there's a fear of failure in everybody, mm-hmm. but uh, as I said, for an athlete, defeat makes you. You know, so don't be afraid of it. Uh, accept it. But but it's funny how life kind of pushes you in certain directions. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is adhere to it. And if it's something you love, you really have to love what you're doing. And if you love it, you'll be successful at it, or as, as successful as you can be. Yeah, I 100% agree. And given how everything's turned out in your life, uh, you've had the opportunity, like you said, to meet countless lead athletes and be around some of the best to ever do what they do. Um, from a mindset standpoint, what would you say has been who, or I guess, who has been the greatest that you've been able to come in contact with? So many, um, so many, but I, I've developed so many good friends like Keith Jackson and I, who was a legend. Uh, we became very close. Um, Jim Nance, to this day, I still talk to Jimmy, and, and Jim Nance is a, a quality human being, very nice man. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Fouts, I talk to Foutsy every couple times a month. And uh, he's a character, you know. He's a guy. That he'll use the F word every other sentence, and mm-hmm. but he's he's and he's a locker room type guy, you know. He's but a quality guy, really. So there's so many good people that have been involved in my life that I've learned from, mm-hmm. and they've supported me. And and you know when I got sick, every one of those people, were, you know, they would call and check in and see how I'm doing and give me little pep talks and yeah. you know it's it it really means a lot. It's unfortunate that sometimes it takes something negative like that to happen to you but it's reassuring when you see the kind of just the community and the impact that you've had in your career whether you realize it or not it's profound it it means so much it Mm -hmm. means so much and and it's just to me it shows a real friendship when people care Mm -hmm. and uh you know, it's a, it's a crazy world we live in right now. My dad's right. It does take all kinds to run a world, but I I've never can't remember where we've ever been so divided. Um, but life's good. Life's good. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I would change. And, and just, you know, it's good to hear others' uh, perspective. I mean, it may be totally different than what you believe or what mm-hmm. you want, but if you listen to them, it helps, I think. It helps understand where they're coming from. Oh, 100%. Just being open. Absolutely. And I think that's what lasts As long as you communicate. Now, Janet and I have been married 46 years. <laughs> and, and you said it wouldn't last. But, it, it, you know, it's, it's one of those deals mm-hmm. where communication is, is the key and humor and forgiveness. And, and you have to, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, that's life. We're not perfect. None of us are. Yeah. So I, I think that communication is huge in all of that. And just the way you live. And that's, it's, it's key in success as well. A hundred percent. I guess digging a little bit deeper in that, you mentioned all those people. We can't even narrow it down to just one. Was there something consistent from a mindset standpoint across those elite people that you mentioned? I think it was John Wooden, and I I won't get this correctly, but um, John Wooden, I think, said luck. You know, people would say, well, they were lucky to win that, or your, Mm -hmm. your luck just never runs out, or whatever it is. But he used to say luck is when hard work and opportunity meet, and that's that's pretty much what life is. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're preparing 
for what you're going to do and you're not just kind of easing your way into it without even thinking about something uh, if you're preparing when the opportunity arises you'll be ready mm -hmm. I think that's the preparation always separates the people that are going to be without a doubt I mean, like you said earlier showing up to the booth if you didn't do that preparation yeah Michigan fan base is going to be able to call you out on not knowing sure, sure. Um, everything you need to know um, I remember one time I was doing uh, remember when, when Coach Frieder was coaching Michigan basketball and then he was replaced by Fisher or something like that you know whatever it was and at the end of the game I had the producer we were doing the, the quarterfinals of the NCAA and uh, we were trying to get down to the Sweet 16 and the producer's talking in my ear, hey, we're, we're 10 seconds from, from going off the air. Let's go 10, 9 to go off the air, 5 to get off the air. And I'm thinking Frieder and Fisher and, and mix the two up. And Sports Illustrated took me to task the next week. And it upset me. And uh, Janet says, listen, she could, the person that wrote that article could not do what you do. Mm -hmm. and so you knew, you just got it mixed up. It was you know, kind of my Joe Biden moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, stuff like that happens, but you just have to you have to swing with it and just keep going and persevere. That's, I mean, even at that level, people are going to make oh, mistakes. Even more so. It's, I mean, you're almost more fortunate that it was back then and not today's day and age with like Twitter and everything like that. Someone makes a mistake, mistake live on air, and now you have, you know, millions of people talking about it. My dad like, used to say, "Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward." He goes, "If you're going to give your put yourself in a position." where people can take shots at you. Give them a moving target, but make it sure it's just moving forward. Yeah, I think that's the best advice for that because yeah. the moment you stop and dwell on whatever mistake you made, and you're just you're putting too much time and energy to it when you could be focusing on that next thing that's at hand, whether it's the next game, the next broadcast. Absolutely, absolutely. The um, next thing in life. I mean, yeah. you just keep going. And you say, my dad used to always say, my mom used to say, life is going to it goes by so fast enjoy every moment and we said yeah sure mom sure you know you'd be sitting in school it felt like a week one afternoon but now that i'm 71 i'm thinking holy cow where did it all go i was just 21 yeah so she was she was <laughs> flies by um what advice do you have for today's younger athletes whether high school or collegiate that are shooting for that next level well i, I think Young, young kids today have it probably tougher than we did because today it seems like every parent, if you ever go to a Little League game or a swim meet, or you, mm -hmm. say, you watch the parents, they're so invested, which is a good thing if it's controlled. Um, but a lot of them are helicopter parents that are there and they're telling the coach who, who should be playing and who shouldn't be playing. And they think every kid's going to get a scholarship. This, this kid, my kid's going to play professional sports. My kid's going to be, and it doesn't work like that. You know, you just, you have fun. You have to enjoy it you're not going to be successful you have to enjoy it you have to try hard you have to do the best you can do and and that's it you know it's a commitment to excellence but at the same time everybody's not meant to be first team everybody's not meant to be on the team maybe they're meant to be in the band you know maybe that's their talent um you have to understand that but every parent it seems these days is putting so much pressure and the kids get burnt out yeah and, and there's clinics for everything, clinic for soccer, clinics for basketball, clinics for swimming. Clinic for speed. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. On all exactly. Those other ones. Yeah, it's, I was having a great conversation earlier today, actually, with someone about burnout in sports. And there's a fine line, I think, as parents, where they're just too pushy with their kids. And you have to, as a parent and coach, realize when that 
person, whether it's a swimmer, basketball player, football player, when they're in it for themselves and when they're in it because mom and dad say they need to be there and yeah. finding that balance is is often tough well it is a, it, it's a heck of a balance and and when you think of that like for instance when i was coming up and i say it may have been a little bit easier in that regard because it wasn't so much these they're putting their their kids in these clinics they're putting mm-hmm. they're playing travel they're they're playing year round where we would play basketball, football, baseball, whatever the season was. And there was always downtime. Even in college, when we got to college, mm-hmm. the summer, you worked out on your own. You know, it wasn't like now they, they keep the players and they're yeah. working around the clock. So there's there's more pressure now. As a matter of fact, I heard Mark Turgeon the other day talking about this stretch run in the last five games that they've had at Maryland, mm-hmm. how the kids are they're just tired. They played four games in eight days or something, and they're, they're tired. They're burnt out. Um, so he's he's glad to have this week off before they play their last game against Michigan. But it happens, and and to do it with little kids, I think, is a travesty. I mean, let the little kids enjoy yeah. themselves and you know have fun and play when they want to play, and not not push them constantly because they're going to get you a, a pro contract eventually and take care of mom and dad. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> what I thought was a really interesting story I saw. I think it was last year, recently with John Harbaugh and the Ravens. He read that body language in his team and I think it wasn't even a week it wasn't bye week it was another week during the season he read he could read everyone kind of in yeah. the facility just feeling down that's, a, that's dragging, a good coach and he gave them a day off and they were like whoa this is awesome yeah. and then they went on you know one of those mini tears throughout the regular season of um, you know spitting out a few games a few wins here and there that's a good um, coach that can do that that can recognize that yeah, and I think players really appreciate that. Oh. And that gives you a chance to reset. Everyone needs a chance to to take that time. You surprise a football team like that with a day off, <laughs> and they aren't expecting it. And they're like little kids. I mean, it's like Christmas. I mean, they just get so excited, and they, they can't wait to get out of the park to get home or yeah. whatever just to put their feet up. I remember at Delaware we had a, a training trip. Um, it wasn't really a training trip. We stayed in Newark, and it's – was seven days in a row of doubles morning practice wow. afternoon practice wow and about i think four or five days into it we were in the afternoon session and we were like oh my god like this is impossible we're feeling so beat up we've swam countless hours and my coach at the time was like all right you guys want to get out opportunity it wasn't a get out swim or anything like that he had to have all 28 guys do a backflip off of the 10 meter. Really? And it was a great, it was a great team bonding. And everybody was going crazy, experience. loving every second. We were like, even the kids that were like deathly afraid of heights were like, well, I mean, I got to do it because 27 other guys are are counting on me to get us out of this practice. And we all did it, and we we're all okay of it. There's some belly flops, but you know, <laughs> that's tremendous. <laughs> that went away after some time. Um, and we were way more happy and just our well And as you said, the was bonding like, yeah. was tremendous. Oh, yeah. You come together more in that, like, 20 minutes that it took for all of us to do it than you do in a few weeks together. So those little things kind of when you're faced with an adversity or challenge. You know, I remember out. my senior year at Maryland, and uh, our new coach was Jerry Claiborne. And Maryland had really gone through a tough time. And, and they had gone through Bob Ward and Roy Lester and these other coaches who just couldn't get it done. 
And he came in, and the first thing he did, he took half of the offense and put him on defense. I mean, Randy White, one of the greatest players in NFL or college history, Randy White was a fullback. I was a quarterback, and they took all of us and put us on defense. And instead of bitching and moaning and complaining, we all bonded together. Mm -hmm. And we went from the last-ranked defense in the ACC to the first, number one, first-ranked defense. And it was was something that, that bonded us. Because, you know, you, you dream of, I dreamt of throwing touchdown passes, and, and I played quarterback my freshman year. Um, and he, he dreamt of being a fullback, you know, being a, one of those guys like Timmy Wilson was with Houston and, and being a great fullback. But once everybody got the defense, we kind of bonded together, and we just made it work, and it was just so much fun. You know, we used to say just ride in, raise hell, and ride out. That was our theme in, in, on the yeah. defense. It's funny. I feel like defenses, especially in football, always uh. – Seem to have some uh, some theme, and it's just always and it, it became so much always, fun to yeah. play, and it was just challenging offenses to see what they could do against us. Mm-hmm. And we ran this defense back then. Jerry Claiborne had the wide tackle six, which it's basically the same as you see today. If they're running a four man front, you know they just dropped the linebackers off where we used to be up on the line. It was it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. That's what sports is all about. Yeah, is just making it and fun great memories and, and making it a good experience. Um, now, what would you say? Or, or I like to always say, once you're an athlete, you're always you're a lifelong athlete. Yeah, I think whether you, you are. played, you know, through high school, or I can definitely tell when people, you know, I meet them having no idea what their background is that they played collegiate sports professionally. Then when we first met, I was like, I could tell, you know, I didn't know the extent of your background, but I was like something about him. He he definitely played sports at a high level. What would you say are some intangibles that stick with you from your time in sport that you've carried on now? Oh, I think I think they're so close, athletics and life. I mean, when you're in the game of life, mm-hmm. you know, you've got to compete every day. I mean, let's be honest. But you try to do the best you can, and you, you compete in life just like you do in sports. You know, you want to be a good sport. Mm-hmm. You want to be a good friend, good companion, good whatever. And you want to, you want to do things the right way. You know, go back to that saying again. There's, there's no bad time to do the right thing, and there's no right time to do a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You just do the best you possibly can. And and I tell my kids, and I've told them this their entire life. Life is dictated by the choices you make. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take the the highway, the easy road, or you can take the bumpy back road, off off roading. Um, but it's it's dictated by the choices you make, and and you try to make the, the right choices as you go through life, and and your life's going to be dictated by that. You know, if some some kid comes up and says, "Hey, listen, let's go, let's go next door and let's break into the back," no, you know that doesn't work in my life. You yeah. go do it, and I'll come visit you on, on visiting days. It's tough. I mean, some kids just don't know, right? You know, and I and part think, of that's confidence. You know, yeah. when when you're in high school or you're growing up with kids in your neighborhood, you can tell the guys who are confident and those that lack the confidence. Mm-hmm. And and so that's you know the ones that don't have the confidence are a little bit disadvantaged there because um, it's harder to make the right decision when you lack confidence. Yeah, I but think if that, you can stand up to a guy and say, "No, I'm not doing that. Yeah. You go do it." I think that spills over to a lot of I think what makes people able to compete at that high level is the ability to say no when it you know when something might be tempting but there again you can see the juxtaposition between sports mm-hmm. and life you know you see how you live and compete in sports 
and you see the same thing in life. You know, and the game of life is hard. It's hard. But again, it's it's ten percent what happens to you, and ninety percent how you handle it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great saying. I might start using that more. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> uh, what does having an athletic mindset mean to you? I think yeah. it makes you tougher. You don't quit quickly. You know, you you and you per- persevere. You you endeavor to do the best you can. And if it's a, you know, what if there's a roadblock there, you you still go after it. You mm-hmm. know, and you may hit your head once or twice against that wall, but you keep trying to get through it. We had a coach one time that said uh, he knew exactly. He sent the whole team. He said, see that wall? I want everyone to run down and go through that wall. And the guys that went around it, he made quarterbacks. The guys that went into it, he made <laughs> defensive guys. Hey, I mean, that's one quick way to find out yeah, exactly. who's in position. Exactly. No, I just made that up. <laughs> What's next for you? Um, and anything left on that bucket list or anything you want to accomplish? Still? No, you know, I'm in a happy place in life. I'm 71. Janet and I have nine grandchildren now, all four years old and younger. You know, our four kids have given us. So um, we're busy. We're happy. Um, people keep saying, do you want to get back in and call games? Matter of fact, I've had, you know, some people call and ask if I would do such and such a game. And I just tell them, no, I don't, I, I'm done. I'm done. I even got all, I was on the board of the College of Journalism at the University of Maryland and several other boards. Even got off of those. Mm-hmm. Um and just now dedicated all to the family and the kids and help the kids out. Because it is tougher. I think it's tougher on, on the young family today than it was when we were coming up. And so we try to help them as much as possible and babysit a lot, and it's good. I love it. I was say, I always love when you, you tell me babysitting stories and, tremendous. and all that. It's tremendous. <laughs> you know, and, and I find out I get in trouble with my kids playing with the grandkids more than anything else because you know I, I had the other day and i don't know if you've seen that Charmin commercial but i thought it was so funny when the bear saying my hiney's clean my hiney's clean my hiney's clean so I, I was teaching the grandkids that well they must have done it to their parents because <laughs> my kids gave me the dick and said you're a grandfather you can't tell them that but yes i can it's a tv commercial it's Charmin. there you go i mean they're gonna see it anyway eventually <laughs> you know never grow up so always be a kid that's perfect uh well tim thanks for coming in thanks Corey, for taking thank the you. time Thank you. Hopefully, see you around the pool, obviously. Absolutely. Hopefully, yeah. looking forward to teaching those grandkids more of them how to swim. You Fit told me ex- you Joey, told me yeah. exercise retards age, so I'm continuing to exercise. <laughs> well, perfect. Hopefully, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Corey. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with Tim. He spoke on a ton of great topics, but the standout one to me was how important of a role his father played in his mindset development. I think parents have a great opportunity to instill everlasting mindsets into their children's mind. If you haven't done so already, send this episode to a friend, family member, or teammate who could use a boost. Stay up to date with all of our latest episodes by following me on Instagram at Athletic Mindset Podcast. And remember, if you can change your mindset and how you think, you'll be able to change your life one thought at a time. I'll see you all next week.